there are people out there, and those people are you, and you're listening to Should We Be Talking About This? Am I attracted to this? <laughs> <laughs> This is Should We Be Talking About This? And I'm Rachel. And I'm Chance. And this is episode 79. We're getting up there in the podcast and Numbers. That's a lot. Numbers. I thought we were going to do a thing where we said it again. Again? Nope. Too late. It's too late. Do we have anything this week to talk about? It's just a regular week. Nothing's going on. Nothing crazy. Hey, we're going to be at a podcast festival. Yeah, the True Crime Podcast Festival. Yes, in Dallas. It's not going to be until August, right? August yeah. 26th or 27th. I don't know. We posted something about it. We'll keep you guys updated. But if you're in the Dallas area or even close. Yeah, check like it out. It's a whole meet and greet thing. It's not just us. You can go check out a bunch of other podcasts. And I think there's a live event. It's at a hotel. Yeah. Banquet. Thing. You can check out the website. True Crime Podcast Festival dot com. Yeah, come see us. They have a list there of, uh, and actually this year they're adding paranormal Ooh. podcasts to the uh, mix as well. Yeah, we would love to meet you guys. It'll be awesome. Yeah, but anything else? No. Okay, good. Let's get into it. I want to go second because mine doesn't have any sad stuff. I've been going first a lot. I can go first. I just think that yours is going to be more depressing than mine. Okay. I know what your topic is. Yeah. So do you want me to go first? No, I'll go first. Okay. My topic is on Russian deaths that were most likely done by Putin. Yes. You said you were going to do this one. I'm excited about it. Yeah. So for those that don't know, I'm going to talk a little bit about Putin. Oh, you're going to give a history lesson? Uh, It's very, very brief, but it's specific to Putin. Okay. So, Vladimir Putin, he was born in Leningrad, which is now St. Petersburg, in 1952. Does it throw you off that there's a St. Petersburg, Russia? Because I always think of St. Petersburg, Florida. Oh, yeah. I guess it doesn't throw you off. No, it doesn't. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There's your answer. So, Putin ended up studying law at Leningrad State University. After graduating in 1975, he became a KGB officer. He resigned and got into politics. He ended up working on the administration for the president, Boris Yeltsin. He worked as director for the FSB, which is what used to be the KGB. Mm-hmm. And the KGB is what? It's like RCIA? They were, no, it was like FBI. their... It, well, kind of like the FBI. It was their state security. Oh, okay. So they were they focused on like counterterrorism and stuff like that. Okay. Well, after that, he became prime minister in 1999... He had to, right? Because Boris Yeltsin... Well, no. He became prime minister while Boris Yeltsin was still president. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Boris Yeltsin, he ends up resigning... Right. ...at the end of 99. Which basically thrust Putin into presidency. Right. Well, then there's an election a few months later, Mm -hmm. and he ends up winning officially in 2000. Gotcha. It's always so crazy... To me, that like presidents in other countries don't go for like two terms, like four years total. Like he's been president for twenty two years. Right. He, well, he got stopped briefly. He couldn't run. Uh, I think it was for his third term. He had to step back, but he was immediately stepped back as prime minister. Mm. Step backed. Yeah, I said it weird. Okay. And he became president again. I got gotcha. after that. And then I think he. This isn't 
official. Okay. But didn't he put into effect that there is no limit now? I have no idea. So he can basically just be president indefinitely? I wouldn't doubt it. He seems like a crazy narcissist that would definitely do something like that. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of people have not liked what Putin's done since he's been in charge. A lot of news reporters and stuff like that, and they talk about it, and they're kind of vocal. And a lot of these people end up getting killed and and dying mysteriously. Okay. So I'm going to talk about a few people. One is Anna Stepanovna. So Anna was a Russian journalist. She spent a lot of time reporting on human rights violations in Russia. She also worked as a war correspondent for a newspaper reporting from the front lines during the Second Chechen War, Mm -hmm. where she talked about all sorts of bad shit that the Russian troops were doing. Mm. This, of course... And she was Russian, right? Yes. Okay. But this made her a prime target for kidnapping. That was going on. Reporters were getting kidnapped, and then they would be held as prisoner exchanges later on and stuff. I gotcha, yeah. But she kept reporting. This didn't phase her at all. The president of Russia when the Second Chechen War started was Boris Yeltsin. Okay, so I'm going to give a little background on the Chechen War. On the Second Chechen War. Okay. Yeah, because I have no idea what it was fought over. Yeah, so Boris was president, Boris Yeltsin. Putin was prime minister. Basically, there was a series of bombings in Russia where apartment complexes had gotten destroyed, Mm -hmm. like they were targeted. And so that was an excuse for Russia to invade Chechnya. Okay. When in reality, they just wanted to gain control of more countries. Right. Because it's like they've been hell-bent on creating a Soviet Union again. Right. Well, this made Putin real popular for invading after these bombings. Right. Do we know if the bombings were really Chechnyan bombs? Or could they have been Russian bombs made to get people on Putin's side to attack Chechnya? So... There was a lot of reporters that didn't think that this was legit. Okay. And come to find out, I saw an article where the FSB, it was proven through an investigation that they had planted one of the bombs. Mm-hmm. Russia's own security, right. basically. It's the old Kansas City shuffle. Yeah. Anna, like I said, reported on, or she was investigating this stuff at the time. And according to a Russian oligarch, uh, we're going to talk about him a little bit later, Boris Berezovsky. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> but according to him, Putin once said that in reference, in re- reference, reference, in reference to Anna, she would take one in the head if she ever spoke of the bombings. Oh. So I think she might have been onto something. Yeah, for sure. During the Second Chechen War, one of the things that she had reported on mm-hmm. and she was investigating were these complaints from about 90 Chechen families about these raids from Russian forces Okay. on these villages. Uh-huh. One grandmother apparently was beaten for 12 days. Holy shit. Yeah, she suffered electric shock, uh, and she was stuck in a pit for a while, too. Why that grandmother? I don't know. There was other things that were going on, too. This right. was just one specific person she talked to Okay. and got her story. There were apparently rapes and other things that were going on. Wow. So while she's investigating this, she gets arrested by military officials. This is Anna we're talking about. Right. And she gets beaten. She said that she was led outside into the night by a lieutenant colonel, and he told her that he was going to shoot her. Mm. 
and it was pitch black. She couldn't see anything. And all of a sudden there was a huge burst of fire. And what had happened was he had walked her right underneath a rocket launcher that was mounted on a truck right when it went off just Mm. to scare her. That'll do it. Yeah. And that was apparently a mock execution, which I didn't know was a thing. I didn't either. Yeah. Apparently, whenever you convince somebody that you're going to kill them when you don't have the intention of killing them, that's a mock execution. And what is the purpose? To get information out of them? Just to scare people. Oh, okay. I mean, think about this reporter. She has nothing to gain by reporting on her own people, reporting on other Russians who are in this army, her military, and she has everything to lose. Right. So why would we not believe everything that she said? Yeah. In 2002, there were almost a thousand people that were taken hostage in a Moscow theater by Chechnyans. A thousand people? Yeah, almost a thousand. Jesus. Like a theater, like a movie theater? No, I think this is like a opera. Like an amphitheater? I don't, I didn't write down the name, but it's a famous theater. Okay, it would make more sense if it was like an amphitheater instead of a movie theater. Yeah. Well, police thought that Anna would be helpful because... She used to pass along information during the Second Chechen War through families and all sorts of stuff. So they thought she could be helpful. Well, and she was interviewing Chechnyans. Like, she had an in with both of them. Plus, she was reporting on this terrible shit that Russians did, so they probably trusted her. Yeah. But before she could actually do anything, Russian troops released an unknown chemical agent into the theater to incapacitate the terrorists. Uh And after several hours, all terrorists were killed or captured. And over 200 civilians died from the gas. Oh, my God. So Anna, she was really messed up about this situation. Right, because she had the potential to save everyone. Uh Uh-huh. And after investigating it, she figured that the FSB was involved, which is Russia's... KGB. Yes. There was also another incident in Russia where a school had been taken hostage, Mm -hmm. all the people inside, and this was over a thousand people. Okay. Well, she was flying to go help negotiate. Right. But she ended up getting sick after drinking some tea that was given to her by a flight attendant. Uh. She ended up surviving. But many people think that the FSB were involved and that they poisoned her. I no doubt believe that. That school hostage situation ended up with Russian troops launching an assault with rockets and tanks. Uh. And 334 people were killed. Over half of them were children. Oh, my God. It's all the terrible shit that was going on, and this stuff needed to be reported on. And they're just doing their job, but they're putting themselves in danger to do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that shit is literally happening right now. Mm -hmm. So in October of 2006, the exact same day she was fixing to file a new story about torture methods that were being used, she was found dead in the elevator of her apartment building. What? She was shot twice in the chest, once in the head. And the pistol was left there on the floor of the elevator. Weird. Putin announced that there would be an investigation. Mm -hmm. And eventually someone who had absolutely no ties with her at all was convicted. Wow. So not only did he kill this reporter, but he framed some, maybe not innocent person, but some random person. Well, and it might not have even been a random person. It could have been the actual killer, the trigger man. Right. But he hired them. It was a hired person. For sure. Yeah. Wow. What a giant piece of shit. Uh-huh. Next person, Alexander Litvinenko. Nice. Thank you. It's probably still wrong. <laughs> yeah, but you said it with conviction. So he was a former FSB officer. He knew too much. Uh-huh. 
He specifically specialized in organized crime. But in 1998, he, along with some other officers, they held a press conference where they were wearing masks and dark glasses, Mm -hmm. and they accused their superiors of ordering assassinations and kidnappings. Mm. One assassination plot that they were talking about was on Boris Berezovsky. I mentioned mentioned him earlier. He was the guy that said Anna would take one in the head. I got you, yeah. Yeah. But there was an assassination plot against him. Well, Putin takes it upon himself to fire Alexander uh-huh. after him coming out and talking against his own police. Right. And a year later, he was arrested on charges for exceeding the authority of his position, which sounds like some trumped up bullshit. Right. For well, sure. He ends up getting acquitted. Then he ends up getting rearrested for those same charges. I don't understand how that happens. Right. But he ends up getting dismissed in 2000 again. So after all of this, Alexander, he leaves Russia with his family to go to London where mm-hmm. he got granted asylum, and he worked as a journalist, a writer, and a consultant for the British Intelligence Services. So he's kind of like a James Bond guy. Okay. <laughs> I don't think he was quite like that, but he also wrote a couple books where he accused Russian Secret Services of staging the Russian apartment bombings. Yes. And other terrorist stuff that was done to bring Putin into power, basically. Oh, wow. Yeah. Also, in another article he wrote, he accused Putin of being a pedophile, and the KGB had destroyed video footage that they had had when Putin was director. Wow. After Anna's death at the end of 2006, we're talking about the first reporter. Right. After her death, Alexander accused Putin of ordering the assassination. Mm-hmm. Which he did. Uh-huh. Well, a couple of weeks later, Alexander got real sick, and he got admitted to a hospital for intensive care. It was found out that Alexander had met with two former FSB agents the day he got sick, Mm. and he had drank some tea that was laced with polonium-210, which is one of the most toxic substances to man. On his deathbed, he had a letter written where he accused Putin of ordering the poisoning himself. 22 days after he drank the tea, Alexander was dead. Oh my god, 22 days. Yeah. It's a lot of suffering. It really is. I remember when this was going on during Mm -hmm. those 22 days. Because I remember on the front page, the uh, his picture from the hospital bed. Oh, my God. And he's bald because that's one of the symptoms is you mm. lose hair. And he looked very sick and frail. It was really sad. Well, the next day after he died, Putin said, Mr. Litvinenko is unfortunately not Lazarus. Meaning that he won't come back from the dead? Yes. What a dick. Alexander was buried in a lead-lined casket because of the, po- the radiation poisoning. Wow. An investigation finds out that the two guys he met were responsible for it, but the UK couldn't extradite them from Russia because of Russia's constitution. Do we know what poison it was? I mean, it it's polonium two ten. So it it as it decays, it emits radiation. So it's like it starts off as uranium, I think, uh-huh. and then as it decays, it turns into polonium. And actually, polonium is all over the place. It's just in super low levels. But I'm assuming it had no detectable taste. Right. I think it was like a powder or something. The thing is, is, man, I wish I had written this down, but it's like one gram can kill 50 million people. Oh my God. Yeah. So it's not a heavy enough amount to notice any taste or anything. Wow. Okay. Now we're going to talk about Boris Berezovsky. Okay. I've mentioned him a couple of times before. He was a Russian oligarch who's just a rich business guy. Who also has political influence. What does oligarch mean? So that's exactly what I'm saying. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <about that. laughs> 
they're rich business people uh-huh. that have political influence. Oh, okay. That's it. I don't know why I thought it had something to do with a religion. Yeah, no, not at all. Okay. Well, he helped fund a presidential party for Putin, but he ended up resigning and changing sides and becoming a huge critic of Putin. Okay. He said that he didn't want to be a part of the country's ruin and the restoration of an authoritarian regime. And there were other things that he didn't agree with, too. So after this, he runs to Britain, gets political asylum there, where there's an alleged assassination attempt in 2003. That's the one that Alexander Mm -hmm. was talking about, that he said his superiors were a part of. Well, in March of 2013, Boris's body was found on the floor by a bodyguard in a locked bathroom with a scarf nearby and ligature marks on his neck. Oh my gosh. Post-mortem examination said that his death was consistent with hanging. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Which doesn't make sense to me at all because he was found on the floor. Let's say he was strangled with a scarf or choked himself with a scarf. Mm-hmm. Now it's on the floor next to him. I think what they're saying is that he probably hung himself from something in the bathroom, maybe like a and it shower fell. head or something, and the scarf came untied and dropped to the ground with him. Who knows what they're trying... I mean, it's definitely Putin did it. One of the things that is very suspicious is that apparently the ligature marks around his neck are like a circle instead mm. of kind of a V-shape right. on the neck, which is, would be consistent with hanging. But if it because was a downward motion, right. but if someone was behind him, it would be a circle. Right. I mean, yeah, he was definitely assassinated. Yeah. Well, and supposedly, uh, Boris had recently sent a letter to Putin asking for forgiveness and permission to move back to Russia. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't buy it. Yeah. The last one I'm going to cover is Boris Nemtsov. So many Borises. Yeah. Well, he was the former deputy prime minister of Russia under Boris Yeltsin, and he was a huge critic of Putin. He was found shot four times in the back, just yards from the Kremlin. Mm. Putin took personal control of the investigation into the murder, Mm-mm. but the killer has never been found. God. Well, and that's what, four of probably dozens? Oh, there's hundreds of There's plenty more. That Putin is responsible for killing. I mean, not to mention the people that have been killed during the wars that he has started. Right. But just individual assassinations. Well, listeners, if for some reason Chance and I go missing, or if our house has a gas explosion, it's because we've been doing quite a few episodes on Putin. Yeah. And he came for us personally. Well, good job, Chance. Thank you. I was most impressed with your pronunciations. (laughs) Those are rough. (laughs) Are you ready for mine? Yes. All right. So I've kept mine pretty secret this week researching because I really did not want you to know what it was. Okay. Yes. It's more of a conspiracode. All right. And I know we've explained it a hundred times on here, but I'm going to do it 101. For our Patreon members in the $5 to $10 a month tiers, we release episodes called Conspiracodes, where one of us brings a conspiracy theory to the table and tries to convince the other one that it's real. Right. Then at the end... We see if we were successful in convincing them, and then we divulge whether or not we believed in it all along. Right. So I'm going to do it in that format. Cool. I love conspiracies. I know, and I should have saved this for Patreon, but I was way too excited about it, and I wanted everyone to hear it. Okay. This conspiracy is that Matt Groening, the creator of The Simpsons, uh-huh. is a time traveler. Okay. Have you heard of this? No. Now, I've always said... 
groaning, Matt groaning. That's what I've always thought it was. I know. Um, it's G-R-O-E-N-I-N-G. But there's a BBC article that came out, and it's like 10 celebrities that you're definitely pronouncing their name wrong. Oh, and he's one of them. Yeah, and he's one of them. And they said graining. So I'm going to stick with graining. If I'm pronouncing it wrong, I'm sorry. Well, he was born February 15th in 1954 in Portland, Oregon. And his family consisted of his older brother, Mark, his older sister, Patty, then him, then his two little sisters, Lisa and Maggie. His mother was Norwegian, a Norwegian-American. I think she was born in America, but first-generation American. And her name was Margaret Wiggum. And his father was of Russian descent, and his name was Homer Groening. Oh. So the Simpsons yeah. are Marge, like Margaret, his mom, uh-huh. Homer, his dad. Right. Lisa, Maggie, and Bart. Yeah. Now, there are certain reports that have come out that said that Bart was based off of him, but he didn't want to use his own name, or his older brother, Mark. And some reports say it's a combination of the two. He just didn't want to have five kids in this comic. Uh-huh. So instead of naming him Matt or Mark, he went with Bart because it was kind of like the word brat. I gotcha. So at 23, he moved to L.A., and he found himself working a series of, like, really shitty jobs. I think he worked at a nursing home, he washed dishes, he was a chauffeur, just a bunch of odd jobs to get by. And to keep his family updated on his day-to-day life, he created a comic book called Life in Hell, where he would depict all his struggles living in L.A. Oh, I gotcha. Well, he gets this entry-level job at the Los Angeles Reader just answering phones and ends up showing his boss his Life in Hell comics that he's sending home. Uh Uh-huh. And because of that, he started getting them published in the Los Angeles Reader. Okay. He was also given a music column, but he said he rarely ever wrote about music because he didn't really know anything about it. So he would just rant and talk about random shit. And then when his boss would be like, hey, more music, he would just make up bands and give them like fake reviews. Okay. But meanwhile... The Life in Hell comic is getting super popular with readers of the Los Angeles Reader. Okay. So to capitalize on it, he and his then-girlfriend decided to write a series of comics titled Love is Hell. And then they published that into a book. And it's basically like relationship issues made into comic strip, little comic strips. Then he goes on to create Work is Hell, School is Hell, Childhood is Hell, The Big Book of Hell, The Huge Book of Hell, and eventually Life in Hell Company. He just took a comic book that he was sending home to his family as like an update and turned it into a huge ordeal. Yeah. Where he's now publishing a bunch of books and have a bunch of series. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember as a kid wanting to like write comics and stuff because I grew up like every morning reading the comics in the newspaper. Yeah. And you loved Calvin and Hobbes, right? Yeah. Calvin and Hobbes was my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in 1985... He's approached by Fox to create a series of animated shorts for the Tracy Ullman show. Do you remember that show? No. It was like a sketch comedy show with Tracy Ullman at the head. Well, they wanted him to use his Life as Hell comics and just animate them to put in between sketches. You know how like SNL uh-huh. does the digital shorts and yeah, stuff? Yeah, it's like to... a kind of fun commercial. Or it's like a something. time filler if you can't. Yeah, that's a better word. Well, he was afraid that if he used this Life in Hell comic strip, that he would lose all the rights for it and Fox would take it. Mm. So then he created 
a new comic about a quirky little dysfunctional family called The Simpsons. Yeah. And that's how The Simpsons got created. It was supposed to be just little digital shorts in between sketches on The Tracy Ullman Show. Well, it turns out The Tracy Ullman Show didn't really take off, but people fucking loved The Simpsons. <laughs> so that led to Fox spinning the sketches into a half-hour series, their very own show, The Simpsons. And in 1989, The Simpsons' full show debuted. So here's just some fun facts about The Simpsons. I never really watched the show. I think I've probably seen four full episodes. Oh, really? Total. I didn't see it growing up. Yeah, because your parents wouldn't let you watch it. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> so if I did see it, I mean, it was very few episodes. I'd, I'd seen a lot more since I'd been older and everything, but... Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to hit you with Simpsons facts before I get into, like, the nitty-gritty of this conspiracy. Perfect. Just for fun. Yeah. Well, like I said, the family members in The Simpsons were named after his actual family members. And if you've ever seen the show, you know they have a grandpa uh-huh. in the show. Well, when it came time to give the grandpa a name, he felt like he had already monopolized the naming mm-hmm. of everything. Yeah. So he just told his writing staff, you guys just think of a name. They ended up naming the grandpa Abraham, and that turns out that that was Matt's actual grandfather's name. <laughs> oh, shit. When he initially sketched out The Simpsons for the Tracy Ullman show, he kind of did them really sloppily and really fast because he assumed whenever he sent it over to the animators at the show that they were going to, like clean them up, revamp them. Use it as a rough draft or something. And they didn't. They actually traced over his crude drawings. And that's what's a rendition of it is used today. It it has actually cleaned up since then. Uh But it's pretty similar to what he initially (laughs) drew. In fact, whenever he designed it, he thought everything was going to be in black and white. So when he did the hairstyles... For The Simpsons, he just did the shapes. He wanted every character to be recognized by their profile, which is why they all have very distinct profiles. I always thought it was so weird. Yeah, it is really weird. But he just did their hair as shapes on top of their head. Yeah. Well, when they filled them in, yellow, there was no defining line where their hair stopped and started on their face. Come on. So their hair just turned out to be yellow like their skin. It's like paint program. (laughs) Remember that? If you didn't have the line. Well... Yeah, exactly. Well, when he saw it, he was just like, all right, cool. (laughs) Weird. Now, Marge, her hairstyle was modeled after his own mother's 1960s beehive. That coupled with the Bride of Frankenstein. Okay. He did Homer's hair with his initials in it. You know, the squiggle line for his Uh hair is the M, and then the G was his ear. Uh Uh-huh. It was like that originally, but he said he changed it after a while because he thought it was too distracting. But it it was originally MG. Okay. He actually made their skin yellow on purpose because he felt like if someone was flipping through stations, the yellow would catch their eye and make them want to stay and watch. Uh Not only were the characters named after his family members, but you know Police Chief Wiggum. Uh Uh-huh. Wiggum is his mother's maiden name. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And then there are also names in the show like Flanders, Lovejoy, Powell, Quimby, and Kearney. These are all streets in Portland that he grew up around. Oh. All the characters on The Simpsons have four fingers, except for God. God has five. Ah. Uh. In 2009, Marge Simpson was featured on the cover of Playboy. <laughs> That's weird. Homer's signature noise, the doe. Uh-huh. It's the D slash O-H, was added to the Oxford Dictionary in 2001. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. 
They chose the town Springfield for the Simpsons because there are 34 different cities in America named Springfield in 30 different states. I know of the one in Missouri. (laughs) So chances are there's a Springfield in your state. The major voice actors on the show get paid around $300,000 per episode. Damn. Yeah. There's 22 episodes a year, meaning they get $6.6 million a year. And that's just in revenue from the voiceover work. You know, if I could get my accents down, I could do some voiceover work. Um, I would love for you to do that. No, please. Do the Homer dough. Oh, Oh, that wasn't bad. Thank you. Okay, now do the Marge Simpson, oh, homie. Oh, homie. That was pretty amazing. You know, call me up if you need some voice work done. You can't do a British accent for shit, but you could do Marge Simpson? Hello, Governor. Okay. (laughs) Do you know Hank Azaria plays 16 different voices? Is that what it is? 16 different characters, yeah. Fuck. He has to get paid more than everyone else, right? I would think so. Uh, In the opening credits, Maggie, the baby of the family, gets scanned at the cash register, and she rings up for $847.63. And that was the average monthly cost to care for a baby back in 1989. Wow. In 1997, The Simpsons aired their 167th episode, making it the longest-running animation in TV history. And as of now... It is also the longest-running TV show in history, and they just aired their 719th episode. That is crazy. Yeah. Law & Order SVU is in second with 509 (laughs) episodes. Uh, The University of California, Berkeley, offered a credited course covering The Simpsons. Wow. I don't know what you would use that for in life. Uh, How to build an empire? It's... Probably in the arts department. Sustainability? I don't know. And I hate it, but my very last fact is that Anne Hathaway won a primetime Emmy for her voiceover work on the show. Mm-hmm. Why are you not a fan? Because she's fake. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She's so fake. And not like actress Hollywood fake. Like, ugh, I don't know. There's just something deep in my core that hates her. And I don't know why. I'm not a person who hates people. You know that about me. I really don't. Oh, but if I see Anne Hathaway, it's on sight. Yeah, you're not a fan. It's on sight. (laughs) Okay, but now on to the important shit. The reason why we're here. The conspiracy theory of it all. Boom. I have zero ground to believe that Matt Groening is a time traveler. Besides... The facts that I'm going to tell you. It's not like he disappeared for some time or invested in a company and made billions, like in a company Uh that doesn't make sense and capitalized on it. Nothing like that. All there is to prove that he's a time traveler is what he has written into the series The Simpsons that has eventually come true. Okay, we're going to start from the beginning. The year is 1990. We're in season two, episode four of The Simpsons. The episode is titled Two Cars in Every Garage and Three Eyes on Every Fish. Okay. In the episode, Bart catches a three-eyed fish in a river near the nuclear power plant that Homer works in. Right. I remember the three-eyed fish being a thing. Yeah, and he names it Blinky. Well, in 2011, 21 years later, a man fishing in a reservoir in Argentina caught a fish 
that has three eyes. Okay. Not only that, but the reservoir was fed by water from a nuclear power plant. Oh, really? Yes. Um, I forgot to mention that every one of these events that I'm going to talk about, I'm going to rate on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being, holy shit, it's time travel, and mm. 1 being, that's just a coincidence. And I'd like for you to rate them with me. Okay. And this one for the three-eyed fish, I'm going to give it a 3. That's what I was thinking. Really? I was thinking a 3. Okay. Only because we all know that nuclear waste fucks up genetic material. Uh-huh. And it flows downstream. Yes. So, a three-eyed fish, rare, crazy, yes, but plausible. Yes. In the same season, season two, episode nine, Itchy and Scratchy and Marge, people of Springfield were protesting Michelangelo's statue of David, which was being exhibited in Springfield at the time, mm-hmm. for its nudity. Uh-huh. It's penis. It's penis. I'm glad I'm glad that you decided to clarify that. For those that don't know. Yes. Well, in July of 2016, a replica of the Statue of David was erected in St. Petersburg, Russia. And guess what? What? People protested over the penis. Oh, my God. There were campaigns made in St. Petersburg, Russia to clothe the Statue of David. Put clothes on the statue. Cover that up. Yes. Like a bathing suit and sunglasses. I doubt that's the look they were going for. Like a kiss the chef apron. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you think? One out of ten, prediction wise. I give it a three. I bet that thing is protested anywhere it goes. Okay, so I was going to do that as well, but I gave it a six. Whoa. I know. I mean, penises aren't pretty. People are uptight about nudity. I totally get it. And it was probably bound to happen, but I just thought it was crazy that it was specifically the statue of David. Like, you don't hear, it doesn't make national news, people trying to put clothes on a statue. There's plenty of nude statues. Yeah, there are. But, like, we're really going to try to put clothes on the statue of David? Hmm. Okay, the next one. Again, this was in season two, episode 18. The episode was named Brush with Greatness. Marge receives a letter from the Beatles... Specifically, Ringo Starr. Yeah, my favorite one. Turns out she had sent him a painting in high school, and now decades later he was responding to it. He had also said he was vowing to respond to all fan mail. Oh. No matter how long it took. Well, in 2013, two Beatles fans received a letter from Sir Paul McCartney. They had sent him a mixtape 50 years prior. Well, the sack of fan mail the mixtape ended up in uh-huh. went missing. Ooh. 50 years later, it was found in a trunk of a car that was sold and given to the Beatles. And that's when Paul McCartney went through it and responded to every letter in that sack. Oh, my God. 50 years later, vowing that he was going to reply to everyone, no matter how much time it took. So what do you give this one? A f- five. Six? Really? So I gave it a three. Really? Yeah, and this is why. Because I think in the show, when Ringo Starr was responding to fan mail, it was a joke about like how much fan mail they get. Mm-hmm. They get so much that it might take decades to respond. Okay. Not necessarily that letters got lost and yeah. he found them 50 years later and was responding to it. But it's an odd situation. Yeah. That did come to fruition from The Simpsons, so I gave it a three. Let's give it a four. Fine. 
Now we're skipping to Season 5, Episode 10. It aired in 1993, and in this episode, Mr. Burns builds a Vegas-style casino in Springfield. It has everything that you would see at a normal Vegas casino, Uh including two entertainers named Gunter and Ernest, who perform with White Tigers. Yeah. Which is obviously a parody of Siegfried and Roy. Right. Well, in the episode, a White Tiger named Anastasia attacks both of them during a live performance. Oh, shit. Then, of course, in 2003, Roy of Siegfried and Roy was attacked during a live performance, also by a White Tiger. I give this one a 4 out of 10. Only because it's a low score. A tiger attack was imminent. Maybe? Are you fucking kidding me? Decades with tigers that are supposed to be wild animals, you don't think an attack was imminent? There was Siegfried and Roy, though. They're such professionals. No, I understand that. But I'm just saying that to predict that a tiger was going to attack Siegfried and Roy doesn't take a lot of forethought. Yeah. You said you give it a four? Right. And the only reason why I scored it that high was because it did happen by a white tiger. Uh Uh-huh. And it did happen during a live performance. And to get those two details correct is pretty significant, I think. Man. What do you think? I was thinking like six. Really? Yeah. Okay. See, these aren't even the heavy hitters yet. Okay. I'm excited for you to hear those. All right. So we give that one a five then. Why are we having to compromise? Why can't we just have two scores? Fine. (laughs) Also that season in episode 19, lunch lady Doris is shown grabbing meat from a barrel that says assorted horse parts, and she's putting it into school lunches. Mm. Nine years later, the Food Safety Authority of Ireland found horse meat in all of the all-beef patties in like 90% of the supermarkets in Ireland. Okay. (laughs) So what do you think about that one? One. That's what I put. Yeah. Because who knows what meat is in fucking meat all over. Yeah. All right. This next one caused a lot of debate. Okay. This one is in season six, episode eight, titled Lisa on Ice. The episode aired in 1994, way before smartphones. Uh Uh-huh. But in the episode, it showed school bullies sitting on the stands, and one of them says, put a memo in your Apple Newton. Which, did you know what Apple Newtons were? Uh Uh-uh. We were too young, but they were basically like tablets before tablets. Okay. Before Palm Pilot? Yes. So the other one picks up this tablet-looking thing and writes on it with like a stylus. He writes, beat up Martin. But it autocorrects to eat up Martha. Oh. Some people are saying that that episode predicted autocorrect. Yeah. Before autocorrect was a thing. Weird. However, Microsoft already had autocorrect for the computers, but nothing in a handheld. Okay. Hmm. Because of that, I'm going to give this one a one. Oh, okay. What would you give it? I was thinking like a three. Okay. Hmm. It also seems pretty predictable to me. Autocorrect? Maybe. I mean, if you already knew about it. However, what I think is really interesting about this is that Apple engineers said that that particular scene in the Simpsons episode gave them so much anxiety (laughs) about getting the Apple keyboards correct. Really? In fact, they used the phrase, eat up Martha, back and forth to show how important something was. Like, this is an eat up Martha moment. Huh. Because it was 
so daunting to make sure that autocorrect wouldn't fuck up everything you're trying to write. Wow. Also in season six, they showed characters using a smartwatch and video chat. And again, this was in 1994. Uh-huh. Like FaceTime, kind of. Yeah. But Inspector Gadget did that shit. Yeah, Dick Tracy. Yeah. The last prediction that happened in season six, to me, is a pretty heavy hitter. Okay. This one happened in episode 19, Lisa's Wedding. So this episode was written in 1995, and it took place in London in the future. Okay. Because it was Lisa's wedding. Right. They show the London skyline, and it's drawn almost perfectly. Uh Uh-huh. Except there is a really oddly shaped skyscraper in the background. Okay. That is obviously not part of the London landscape. Right. However, in 2009, 14 years later, construction began on a building near London Bridge, and it was an oddly shaped skyscraper named the Shard. And the building looks almost identical to the one in the episode. Hmm. I'm going to show you pictures. Not only is it identical, but it's in the same location. Huh. Okay. So over here, see that thing? Yeah. That's what it looks like back there. Weird. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. And it's not a regularly shaped building. It's like a giant pyramid, it looks like. I mean, like a really... Almost. And like I said, same location. Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to give that one an 8 out of 10. Really? Okay. What do you mean, really? How did they predict a skyscraper being built? No, no, no. I was going to give it like a seven and a half. Okay. And my eight was a really response? (laughs) Yep. Okay. In 1998, they were on season eight. In episode one, Homer becomes an inventor and creates things like an electric hammer and a makeup gun. At one point in the episode, it shows him standing in front of a chalkboard doing very complex equations. Well, it turns out that the equation on the blackboard was the Higgs-Boson equation. Really? And he had solved it. He solved it 14 years before scientists did. Oh, my God. Also known as the God particle. Yeah. Now, when I say solved it, he came extremely close. Oh, I mean, well, it was solved, but it's like he, let's say that I'm not smart enough to know mm -hmm. what the answer is. Me either. But let's say it was, the answer is 147. He got like 132. Okay. Like he was so close. Never should have been that close. Yeah, never should have been that close. (laughs) What do you think that one is? I give that one an eight. An eight for solving the God particle? Before it had been solved? 14 years before it was solved. Yeah. I mean, it's just an equation, right? Yes, but it took scientists like 40 years to figure out. Yeah, maybe I'd give it a 10. Man, you are a hard audience. You might want to lower it from a 10, though, because the writers on staff at The Simpsons are mathematicians. Uh Uh-huh. So they knew about this equation and kind of slapped together a solution. Okay. And it turned out to be correct. Gotcha. In the following season, Bart gets sick and Marge gives him a book called Curious George and the Ebola Virus. Again, this is the late 90s and Ebola obviously has been around. Yeah. But there had not been an outbreak in decades. Right. And then, of course, in 2014, there was a major Ebola outbreak. Yeah. Oh, man. I give that one a four out of ten. 
Yeah, because it's bound to happen. Yeah. In season 10... What I think is strange is how many things that he's getting right within such a short amount of time of each other. Right. These are... It's almost like every season there's one or two things that come to fruition. At least, yeah. In season 10, Homer goes to pitch a script to some Hollywood execs. And when he pulls up to the building, it says... 20th Century Fox, and then below it in smaller letters says a division of Walt Disney, which was not real. Right. It wasn't even referenced in the show. It was just a small sign. Uh-huh. However, in 2017, years and years and years later, Disney did purchase Fox for $52.4 billion. <laughs> that's weird. That, yeah, that's weird. That's also kind of one of those things for me that's might be bound to happen. Right. That's why I gave it a 3 out of 10, because I don't know enough about the movie industry. Maybe that was something sitting on the dock for a while. I'd give it like a 4 or 5. Okay. Well, in 1999, in season 11, Homer makes a hybrid plant using a tomato plant and a tobacco plant. A tobacco plant. Yes, he did. And then in 2003, a man named Rob Bauer created a tobacco plant. That's fucking... Why? Well... That one I just threw in there for fun because it turns out that guy's like a huge fan of the show. Oh. So he really just wanted to do it. In season 11, they aired an episode called Bart to the Future. The episode aired in 1999, but obviously it was set uh-huh. way in the future. And in this episode, it shows Donald Trump as the president. Uh-huh. This was 1999. Yeah. 17 years before he even ran. Yeah. Maybe that's something like he had talked before about being a politician. Uh Who knows? Maybe that just got pulled out of thin air. But that's not the part that gets me. The part that gets me is that there is a scene in The Simpsons of Trump going down an escalator. This one I've seen. Yes. And it's like he's in a mall, maybe. Uh And on the floor, the second floor, there's a crowd of people holding signs on the railing watching him go down this escalator. And to the left, there is a child holding a poster that says vote. And as he's going down the escalator, the animated child drops this poster. Uh Uh-huh. Not down to the first floor, but just kind of down. Yeah. There is video footage of Trump on his campaign trail going down an escalator. And on the left-hand side, a person holding a poster drops it at the exact same moment that The Simpsons created back in 1999. It's pretty fucking weird. I mean, the details of that. Uh Uh-huh. That's not something like, oh, it was probably bound to happen. Color of the sign was wrong. Uh, Okay, regardless. I'll give it a two. The camera angle? Uh Uh-huh, everything was perfect. Everything. That's too fucking weird to be a coincidence. I give that a 10 out of 10. Yeah, I would give that a 10. You can't explain it. No. In 2008, season 20, Homer goes to vote for Obama, but the voting machine he's using changes his vote. (laughs) I can't remember who it was to. It doesn't matter. Four years later, machines were removed from a Pennsylvania voting area for malfunctioning and switching votes from Obama to Mitt Romney. Yeah. Hmm. I gave it a 5 out of 10. I would give it even less than that. I mean, voter fraud is going to happen. You're going to have 
screw-ups. And... I only gave it a 5 out of 10 because I thought it was interesting that in the show, it was specifically votes for Obama were being switched over. Oh, okay. And this one in Pennsylvania, it was specifically votes for Obama being switched over. And it wasn't like it was malfunctioning and not just counting the votes. It was literally switching Changing them the to the other candidate. Okay. All right, you convinced me. <laughs> In season 21, episode 12, titled Boy Meets Curl, Marge and Homer go to the 2010 Olympics for curling. Uh-huh. They compete against Sweden, who in real life is notorious for winning curling competitions in the Olympics. Okay. I did not know that. All right. Well, they end up getting really far behind, but come back in the end to win the curling gold mm -hmm. for the U.S., Homer okay. and Marge. In 2018, eight years later, during the Winter Olympics, U.S. was against Sweden for the gold, uh -huh. came back from behind to win it. Oh, nice. They had never won the curling gold, not even medaled before. <laughs> Good job. Weird, right? Uh-huh. I was going to go eight out of ten because I thought that was oddly specific. They won in the exact same way. Okay, I'd give it like a six. Are you serious? Out of all the different Listen, competitions, I, I, I gave you my I gave you my answer. Okay, but I'm just saying, out of all the events, the Simpsons chose curling. You could find in any sport a comeback victory, and curling became popular because it was fun to make fun of. Okay, moving on. In season twenty three, episode twenty two aired in. 2012. That was a lot of numbers back to back. <laughs> so in 2012, The Simpsons showed Lady Gaga performing for Springfield, and she was lowered into the stadium, like uh -huh. suspended in the air. Right. Five years later, she gave an eerily similar Super Bowl halftime performance. Uh-huh. Eh, what do you give it? I said five out of ten. Because if you see them side by side, they're pretty... Oh, okay. They look pretty identical. Okay. But she could have been inspired by that. Who the knows? Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> There's a ton more, like um, the Simpsons movie said the NSA was spying on all Americans before and Edward Snowden did it. But of course, I mean, yeah, that was obvious. They predicted two Super Bowl winners, uh -huh. I think like a decade apart, before ever knowing who was going to the Super Bowl. Right. They also predicted a Nobel Prize winner. They made an episode where FIFA was corrupt. Which... And like three years yeah. later, they got brought up on a bunch of charges uh -huh. for the exact same things that happened in The Simpsons. Uh, oh, wow. Honestly, you could go on and on. And if you look at all of these things individually, like we were rating them, uh -huh. they're all below a five. Right. But put them all together. Yeah, that's You're what I'm telling me that that many coincidences happen on one show? Yeah, that's weird. There are other TV shows that run, obviously, not as long as The Simpsons, but there are TV shows that run for decades. And don't predict anything. And any... don't predict anything like this. Yeah. It's pretty weird. So do you think that Matt Groening is some sort of Nostradamus time traveler or psychic? And he is putting this into his show as little glimpses into our future. I don't think he's time traveling or anything. I think he's... Maybe he sold his soul. He could have. And it would explain why he has the longest running TV show. Uh-huh. I didn't even talk about Futurama. 
Oh, yeah. He started Futurama, which also has a lot of predictions in it. They predicted the coronavirus. There was also a thing that they predicted 9-11, which I didn't put in there, but it was kind of a stretch. But Homer holds up this paper that has the Twin Towers in it. And for some reason, it has $9 so big on it that the 9 is in the middle of the paper and then the Twin Towers make 11. Oh, weird. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's a lot of weird shit. Yeah. So what do you think if he's not a time traveler? You think he sold his soul? Yeah, and he's he's got advanced knowledge. Because let's say he's a time traveler. Mm-hmm. He travels back in time and he, what, happens to see this one video clip of Trump and a kid dropping a sign. So he decides to write that in or anything like that. I don't think he's time traveling and bringing back little specific incidences like that. I think he's got... I don't know. He just has all the knowledge. He sees everything. But you're going to go sold his soul over, like, psychic? That's just a weird prediction to make. Some, You know what I mean? I agree, but, I mean, I would go psychic, like, has visions of the future. Like, that's Maybe so that's Raven what I'm trying style. To say. Instead of sold his soul to get tiny bits of knowledge from our future to put in his yeah, animated series. Yeah, that's dumb. <laughs> Who came up with that idea? Some weird fucking reason to sell your soul, bro. I'm going with you. Well, I don't believe that. Oh. I don't believe either. I don't believe this conspiracy theory at all. I think that he has a highly intelligent team of writers that are so intelligent that they can make educated predictions. Yeah. And the things that they couldn't predict just somehow were coincidences. How many things were, you know, maybe like a little joke behind the scenes amongst the writers and stuff that never panned out or anything? Well, like, I think the 9-11 thing was a coincidence. I think the Trump thing, as weird as it is, is Uh a coincidence. However, like FIFA, if you're sitting around with a group of super knowledgeable Highly educated people that are continuing their education, like reading um, reports of things, like keeping up with the news, stuff like that. They're going to say, oh, my God, have y'all seen FIFA's doing some weird fucking shit? Oh, yeah. Before it ever gets out to common knowledge. Yeah. So why not stick it in a show like, hey, FIFA, we're watching you type shit. Uh Uh-huh. And I think that that's what 90% of it is. Like Fox buying or Disney buying Fox. Yeah. That was probably something they heard whispered about at the water cooler mm-hmm. and just stuck it in as a, we know what you're doing type uh, thing. Yeah. They're staying topical and stuff. Right. And I'm sure, like you said, half of it was meant for maybe their entertainment above even recognition or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a conspiracy theory that I don't believe in. But I would like to say you just released a conspiracy theory on Patreon. Yeah. And it was... Was Jesus based off of a psychedelic mushroom? Uh Uh-huh. But you were not successful in making me believe that. No. I, however, have been successful in making you believe all of them, including today. Are we counting this one? Yes! Why not? You said I go with you. He's seeing premonitions. He's psychic. You did not say he just has a team of talented educational (laughs) education. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Educated. Got stuck in my mouth for a minute. Educated writers. You believed that there was something supernatural happening. There is. So hell yes, I'm taking it for a win. All right. Fuck yes. I should have joined debate. I'm not the hardest to debate against, I don't think. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That's why I fucking love conspiracodes. Yeah. They're fun. I like watching your wheels turn it in your head. And like right when you have some doubt, I'm like, I don't know. And you immediately are like, well, maybe you're right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that's it. Episode 79. In the books. We did it. Next one's 80. Uh Uh-huh. Math. Quick math. (laughs) 79 plus one. (laughs) Um, I don't think we're going to do an after show, but we will release bloopers to Patreon members. You know what I want to mention? Huh? Before we hang up. Okay. Uh, did you see on the, about the news? Okay. What? <laughs> In Russia. This uh-huh. is back to my story. Okay. There was a Russian news producer who, while the news was going on, the anchor is sitting at the desk. Mm-hmm. This producer gets up behind her with a big sign. Mm-hmm. And it says, no war, stop the war, don't believe propaganda, they are lying to you here. <gasps> and then she was missing. Oh my god, no. But I found, this would have been like three hours ago, uh, I saw an article where she had been detained. Mm. So I don't like that though. It's one of those things, like it just happened like today. Ugh. So that news is just coming out. But yeah, I mean. She's brave. That's what I was thinking. What a bad bitch right there. Yeah. That's crazy. So I just thought I'd mention that since we weren't doing an after show. Wow. Well, yeah. I don't think we have anything to talk about further for our after show, but I'll put some bloopers out if there are any. But other than that, we love you guys and we appreciate you. And cheers to Gigi. Thanks, y'all.